You're listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street, where real people working in the finance industry talk about life, work, and faith, with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. Chip Scowron is a former hedge fund manager who was convicted of insider trading, ultimately serving four years in prison and paying $32 million to his old employer. Way more importantly than that, he's a wonderful friend and man of God. Chip, thank you so much for joining me on Jesus Walks on Wall Street. It's good to be with you, Nathan. I want to start, for people who don't know you, if you could give me like a a headline, like maybe a 30-second summary of your journey so far. Small town boy from Florida aims high and makes it big on Wall Street only to have a dramatic and very ugly fall from grace uh, straight into the hands of Jesus, who has been rebuilding his life over the last nine years and um, doing it with great care and tenderness and with um, unbelievable love. You know what's cool about how you, how you said that? Where you placed the agency, you said you fell into the hands of Jesus, who is rebuilding your life. So he's the one rebuilding your life. Yes. There's, yes. It could be a temptation right there to say, and now I'm picking myself up by my own bootstraps with God's help, you know, but you said Jesus is doing it. <laughs> well, I think over the last few years, I have learned uh, quite, um, quite pointedly that uh, I can't help myself, mm-hmm. and I certainly can't help really anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do rely on him for mm-hmm. uh, for my own um, for my own recovery. Amen, amen. Tell me then, you, you I know that you experienced a lot of success when you got into the finance industry. Can you just walk us through what that looked like for you? Well, I, I in the beginning of two thousand one, I started my first job. Uh, left the operating room literally one week, and the next week was sitting in a hedge fund, one of the most influential and powerful hedge funds on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, that transition was abrupt, and uh, and yet I had people around me who were kind of coaching me through it, and uh, I'm very thankful for them. And within two years, I had moved with them to another... Uh, another big, powerful hedge fund. And then with some of the people that I met, we decided that we could bring something to the table that was quite a bit different than what other people were doing. And so we actually set out on our own to start our own fund, and we partnered with a, a, a group down here in based in Greenwich mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in 2001, left the operating room, and by May of 2003, starting my own fund. And within another year and a half, we had, we were managing over a billion dollars. So, you know, it was just a, it was a very fast trip. And, um, and as a result, you know, people were looking at us going, wow, those guys have the magic sauce. And yet we were just kind of, you know, largely fumbling through it, Hmm. but also doing a good job, um, doing a good job, making money and at the end of the day, Wall Street is a very efficient mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. for weeding out those who are yeah. doing a good job making money yeah. and those who don't do a good job making yeah. money. And it is not about how much 
effort you put into it or where your heart is or how hard you try is it's not about that mm-hmm. it's it is a place that very efficiently weeds out the good and the bad yeah it's uh darwinism really right survival of the fittest well darwin would take would say that it takes a long time mm-hmm. um wall street is do it very quickly. efficient I want to talk on a personal level about that much wealth accumulation in such a short amount of time. You grew up like in the middle class, is that right? Yeah. But And then you were very successful in med school and became a physician and all of that. But now you're in a whole new level of success that includes um, huge personal financial windfalls for yourself and for your family. Can you take us on that journey with you? What was that like? What were some of the the excitements and joys and what were some of the pitfalls? Well, money was never a, a big driver for me. It, mm-hmm. it was not, it was always an ancillary, an and there is that. Whether in medicine, you know, doctors do well. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do as well today as they used to back when I decided I wanted to be a, a doctor relative to those in the community, but, but they do well. Um, but that was not my goal. And that was not my chief driver for going to Wall Street either. Mm-hmm. I remember walking on the street with uh, my boss, very early in my days in, in 2001. And, uh, we were looking at a, a Ferrari parked underneath an awning. And I said, wow, that's a, that's a beautiful car. And he said, man, if you, if you do well here, I'll give you one of those for Christmas. And I said, man, you know what? And I remember saying this clear as day, I never need to make more than a million dollars. And within two years, that had not only become reality, but had far, I'd far exceeded that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were a lot of pitfalls mm-hmm. that came with that. Um, pitfalls specifically and most importantly in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Money became a tool to allow me to not enter into anyone else's pain, including my mm-hmm. children and my wife. You have a problem you don't like doing laundry? No problem. Right. Your laundry's done. We'll hire someone for that. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to cook? No problem. We'll, 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 we'll have that taken care of. Yeah. And it, it allowed me a resource that I used to effectively isolate myself. Let's stick on this point for a minute because this is huge. So w- when you have enough money to make problems go away, you know, like you just named a few, those are really simple. You end up isolating yourself, right? And you end up isolating the people around you. And I think this is the great lie or it's not even a lie it's some it's something that is hidden from us right so there's people listening to this podcast they're they're in the middle class or whatever and they're struggling with their kids or their laundry or their food and they hear something like this and they're like if i could just get some help doing all this laundry i might be a little bit happier but what you just said is you had all that help you hired it all out but what happened in your own relationships is isolation can you actually just describe like like literally how that isolation comes as a result of introducing money and help into the household? Well, you know, in, I mean, the most important way and place where that had an impact was in my marriage, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, it's my inclination and, and a lot of people I know to look to the work of their hands for their identity and their uh, security and, and quite frankly, their Mm self-worth. And, um, and that's what I was doing. So I, I disengaged from the relationships around me and said, well, look at what I'm doing. This is who I am. And at the same time, you know, unbeknownst to me largely, um, my wife and my children were suffering because of my disengagement. Mm-hmm. And 
they, by nature, were looking to me for their identity and self-worth and their affirmation, and I'd left the building. Hmm. So my house became a real place of, look, I mean, superficially, it looked like a right. great place to be. Yep. Everybody smiled, everybody dressed well, yep. everyone acted the part, which became largely a burden because mm-hmm. now it's just an acting job mm-hmm. and every day you have to wake up and put on the wardrobe mm-hmm. and go out there and act like things are great mm-hmm. and yet you're lonely, you're disconnected, no one understands, no one will listen. And you know, I look back on those days and look, it was, uh, it was a time of great success. Yeah. I look back at it and see great misery. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So nice cars, nice house, nice wardrobe, nice country clubs, what a lot of us are striving for. And you had all that and you're looking at it going, you know, it wasn't all it, it appeared to be. Now, I, I was speaking to my um, older sister who is an, an amazing woman of faith and has prayed for me, and her prayers are effective. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for her. And I was sitting right before my 40th birthday, and I'm talking to her on the phone. I'm looking out over the, uh, the harbor and out of my office, and I'm saying, you know, so I've got, I've got the wife and children and the house I've always dreamed of and cars and property and all these things. And my job, reputation, Cindy, is this all there is? Hmm. Is this all there is? Because mm-hmm. I'm still subtext. I still feel empty inside. Mm-hmm. None of these things are satisfying me. Mm-hmm. All the success in the world isn't going to fill this hole. And um, yeah, and that was a hole that just got bigger and bigger. And, you know, I look at my fall, mm-hmm. so to speak, and I just see God's grace all over it. Yeah. Before we get to the fall, I want to play a but what about card real quick right here. Maybe there's somebody listening to this story who has the nice house. They still have the the great big salary and they have the good looking kids and the whole thing. They might be listening to this going, oh man, isn't it possible though for me to have all these things and to have a satisfied soul and a healthy marriage and honesty with my kids and good relationships before we get into all the discoveries you had then during and after your fall, what would you say to that person? Oh, I would say it's definitely possible. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's my great hope for them Mm -hmm. is that they would not only have, uh, have Jesus as the center of their lives Mm -hmm. and be walking in his will and in his ways and Mm -hmm. knowing and trusting him and, and, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) all of those things. My, my error, my problem was mm-hmm. I was looking to those things for my yep. satisfaction. Right. And ultimately, they, they can never satisfy. Yeah. I mean, like they, I remember going to, you know, the, the local sports car dealership intending to buy one car and literally walking away with two. And um, yeah, that, that brought a lot of fun and happiness right. and some great cocktail laughs for a couple yeah. of days, and yeah. then it was gone. Hmm. So I'm a little bit of a car guy coming from Michigan. I got to know what were those cars? What were the models? I, uh, I ordered a, uh, a 458 Italia the year it came out, and at the same time, I bought an Alfa Romeo 8C Spider 
that had just come in and hadn't even been unwrapped. Now, did you have stalls in your, did, how many garages did you have at your house? Seven. And were they fu- filled? Yes. <laughs> amazing. And what you're telling me is those amazing, fun sports cars, they put a smile on your face when you're driving through the roads, but there was still a deep down emptiness and hunger in your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's talk now about what begins to happen then. Tell, tell me about a phone call that you got in January of 2008 and then, you know, basically what that wrought in your life. Well, so my, uh, a lot of the time that I spent on Wall Street, I was learning how to uh, extract information from mm. my network that I had come to Wall Street with but also had grown uh, in the healthcare community for the purposes of making money. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the relationships that I had built was with a, a very kind um, and a good man. Mm-hmm. in uh in France who was part of a a new era in development of treatments for people with liver disease and uh we had a long standing multi year relationship um and he he called me one day to let me know that there was a problem with a clinical trial mm-hmm. and um as a result of that phone call i sold the stock yeah and uh, then when an investigation was conducted around why I'd done that, why uh, our fund had done that, um, I lied about it. Hmm. I really did not want my career to end. I didn't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. I didn't want to be in trouble. And, um, and yet God's grace persevered. What do you mean that God's grace persevered? Because the next part of your story is you going to prison and how are you saying that that was God's grace because you know um, it's interesting you say I was going to prison because Nathan what we're talking about is the fact that I was in prison Mm -hmm. I was actually in a prison it didn't you know prisons have all kinds of bars this particular kind of prison Mm -hmm. looked like gold gilded beautiful bars it was a big house with uh, a big yard and lots of cars and a job that you know had you know, wealth beyond my imagination associated with it and reputation and all of those things. And yet I was imprisoned by it. There was no way I could walk away. There was no way I could save myself from that. And so God's grace is what extracted me from that prison. From that prison. Yeah. So you, you find yourself then, well, actually before we get into the, the actual iron bars prison, um, that I want you to take us into. Tell us about a decision you made to plead and, and what led you to that decision. Well, that was part, that was a part of the journey. So, um, you know, it was, it was in kind of November, actually November of 2010 that, uh, we became aware Mm -hmm. that, um, that there was a criminal investigation and, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, one minute getting great news, about our fund and our position in the marketplace and how things are going to be going and what we're going to be structuring in terms of our new business going forward. And the next minute I'm walking out of my office, never to walk back into it and going into find a criminal defense attorney. And, uh, it wasn't the first time that I'd had that kind of an abrupt kind of contrast between great news and horrible news in my life. But there I was walking into that criminal defense attorney's office and, um, 
And that journey began one that started with, quite frankly, a lot of denial. Hmm. Uh, denial about whether I'd done something wrong or not. Hmm. And um, I, through that journey, uh, became very isolated and lonely and uh, you know, wasn't able to have interaction with these people I'd built a business with that I'd worked with for the last decade. And, um, and then uh, in my loneliness, I met people of faith. Hmm. And those people came to me in the form of the New Canaan Society. Mm -hmm. And those brothers came around me and when I was largely untouchable. And they walked me through a journey of coming to know the gospel. Yeah. And the gospel... Uh, which I had heard before but never received, was, uh, was speaking to my poverty, my poverty of relationship. I was lonely. I was completely cut off. And I so desperately wanted a friend. And there Jesus was, available for friendship. And I came to him uh, very personally and very intimately and was born again in April of 2011. So we're talking about five months later. Mm -hmm. And... Then, following that <laughs> unbelievable experience, I became uh, more intimate with him, and he began to reveal to me not just about what I should do, but who I had been. Mm -hmm. And uh, that involved admission to myself, to my children, to my wife, um, and, and uh, ultimately to the prosecution and to the judge. Yeah. And that was an admission of what I had done and accepting responsibility for that, yeah. both financial and in terms of imprisonment. Yeah. And uh, it was not what I expected. It <laughs> was not what anybody expected, I don't think. Um, but then in January of 2012, I reported to prison. I, um, the, the guilty plea was entered on uh, August, actually not the guilty plea, the, uh, my surrender mm -hmm. to the FBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, happened on August 15th, and I know that because um, it was about two years ago that my daughter revealed to me that that day had been the hardest day in her life, mm. and the reason it had been so hard for her was because it was her birthday, mm. and nobody wished her a happy birthday. Mm. She had been completely overshadowed by what was going on in my life, and, uh, and that had wounded her mm. deeply. Hmm. And it wasn't until she told me that that I even remembered the date. The date. Wow. Wow. You just used a couple of words when you were describing your life before the investigation and all of that. Someone might look at it and just see wealth and freedom. But you actually used the word poverty and imprisonment. I find this very interesting because Jesus' very first public statement, he's in Nazareth, it's Luke chapter 4, and what does he say? He quotes Isaiah. Isaiah 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the captives. Amen. So it, it was when you discovered your own poverty and your own imprisonment, now Jesus could do business with you, right? He said, that's what I'm here for, those who are poor and those who are imprisoned. And people might not have seen a poor imprisoned man. They might've seen a wealthy free man, but you finally discovered those things about yourself. Now I can get Jesus in my life. Take us into prison now. So uh, there's a, there's a nuanced journey here, but just take us right in there. What did you discover in, in there? So I, I went into prison 
um, madly in love with Jesus. <laughs> so, and that's a good way to go into prison. Um, it's not that I, I didn't have concerns, uh, but I would not say I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a great story. I mean, Jesus literally met me at the door. And he met me in the form of another man named, named Chip mm-hmm. who uh, looked at me and the Bible that I was clutching in my hands and said, my brother, don't worry. All things work together for the good. Romans 8. And I looked at him and I said, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we embraced. And he was the first man that I met walking into the doors of prison. Wow. Um, what an amazing way for me to be yeah. greeted by the Lord. Yeah. And so that journey for me in prison, look, it, it was not an easy one. Mm. And it was, it was years. And, um, and for me, it was just the right amount of time. Not one day longer than I needed and not one day too short. Yeah. And, uh, it's four years, right? It was four. And, um, but as hard as it was on me, it was much, much harder mm-hmm. for my wife and children. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaving home, leaving my wife with four young children, and yet a lot of turmoil that were, was unresolved when I went and reported um, was very hard. So uh, those are hard years, especially for my wife and children to think about because of the suffering that they endured. Yeah. And when you think about the people that I know, and I know many, many people who are in the process of being prosecuted, are certainly yeah. serving time today, and yeah. who are coming home today, it, there's a ripple effect beyond them of a lot of pain and yeah. sorrow and suffering yeah. in the women and children who were yeah. left behind. How old were your children when you went into prison? They were uh, 12, 10, 8, and 6. Mm. Wow. And all of them, at one point or another since my coming home, have shared their stories mm-hmm. in very public ways mm-hmm. without our prodding at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, with us urging them to be cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our daughter uh, read uh, and, and won a, a public speaking um, award at her school, mm-hmm. presenting the day that my dad went to prison. Wow. My uh, son and my oldest daughter both have largely centered their college application assays and a lot of their papers that they've written on the pain around my absence, um, the, uh, the healing that has happened since mm-hmm. uh, I've come home. Can you talk more about any healing that's taking place? <laughs> well, um, the, one, of the ma- one of the amazing things to me is, you know, so I, I came to Christ, I, I was born again in April 2011, and as recently as um, two weeks ago, I became incredibly aware of wounds that I had that were not healed. You know, you become a Christian, you're like, oh, I'm good. Well, no, mm-hmm. you know, you come uh, to faith, and then the Lord begins this process of revealing how broken <laughs> you really are, and... Um, this this particular wound had to do with the day that my mother my mother was killed in a car accident, and it was absolutely there was the same circumstance where I had been told that I was uh, I was getting into medical school, and then a half an hour later, my mother had been killed in a car accident. I didn't yeah. get to tell her, yeah. and I'm sitting on my bed, 
I'm sitting on my bed and I'm weeping and I'm all alone. And the, the emotions are far greater and far beyond anything that I have the capacity to deal with. And it, and it largely crippled me for, for, for 20 years. Hmm. And so here I am, 50 years old, been a Christian now for, you know, almost, you know, nine years. And the Lord shows me that I felt abandoned in that moment by people, but mostly by him. Yeah. And, and in the process of showing me that, he had himself, in, in the form of a man, put his arm around me and speak to me that he was there and that he was weeping with me yeah. and that I wasn't alone. Yeah. And that moment now has been transformed from a moment of isolation, loneliness, and, and, and uh, feeling uh, forsaken into a moment of comfort and intimacy and union with my father. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was just a week and a half ago. And I now see that that wound was largely preventing me from enjoying any Mm. good thing fully. My wife, my children, any blessing that came in my mind, the next shoe to drop is something devastatingly bad and God will not be there. Wow. Yeah. And so here I am a week and a half yeah. later going, wow, I had no idea. This might change everything for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I sure, well, I hope, it, I hope things, my hope is that in the healing process that, you know, what will happen is the, the, the cares and the troubles of the world aren't going to have these vulnerabilities that, that they can abrade that mm-hmm. set me off, mm-hmm. that make me volatile or emotionally yeah. unstable or, or unfit to serve. Yeah. And that because of my healing now, I can walk into circumstances and not be sensitive. Mm-hmm. And not instead of reacting, act. Yeah. On the next episode of Jesus Walks on Wall Street, we will continue the conversation with Chip Scouron hearing stories from life in prison and all that he learned there. You've been listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart.